0: So here is the last girl by Nadia Murad, part 2, chapter 5. I hope you are going to like it. So let's get started. Chapter 5 The slave market opened at night. We could hear the commotion downstairs, where militants were registering and organizing. And when the first man entered the room, all the girls started screaming. It was like the scene of an explosion. We moaned as though wounded, doubling over and vomiting on the floor. But none of it stopped the militants. They paced around the room staring at us while we screamed and begged. Those of us who knew Arabic begged in Arabic, and the girls who knew only Kurdish screamed as loud as they could. But the men reacted to our panic as if we were winning children, annoying but not worth acknowledging. They gravitated toward the most beautiful girls, first asking, How old are you? and examining their hairs and mouths. They are virgins, right? They asked a guard who nodded and said, Of course, like a shopkeeper taking pride in his product. Some girls told me they had been checked by a doctor to make sure they were not lying about their virginity, while others like me had only been asked. A few insisted that in fact they were not virgins, that they were spoiled thinking it would make them less desirable, but the militants could tell them they were lying. They are so young and they are Yazidi, they said, no Yazidi girl would have sex unless she was married. Now the militants touched us anywhere they wanted, running their hands over our breasts and our legs as if we were animals. It was chaos while the militants faced the room scanning girls and asking questions in Arabic or the Turkmen language. Nafa, who had arrived when the market opened, chose a very young girl which made some of the other militants laugh. We know you would pick her, they teased him. Let me know when you are done with her, give her to me. Calm down, militants kept shouting at us, be quiet, but their orders only made us scream louder. An older militant appeared in the doorway, a fat man with a huge belly called Hazi Shakir, who turned out to be one of the leaders in Mosul. Hazi is both a common name and a title for respected men. He had a girl in tow. She was wearing the niqab and abaya, worn by all women in Islamic state towns. This is my sabaya, he said, pushing her farther into the room. She is going to tell you how happy she is now that she is Muslim. The girl lifted up her niqab. Although she was frail, she was extremely beautiful, with smooth dark skin and when she opened her mouth, a small golden teeth glinted in the light. I thought she could not be older than sixteen. She has been my sabaya since August 3rd when we liberated Hardan from the infidels. Hazi Shakir said, Tell them how at peace you are to be with me and to be no longer a kafir. He said again to her who remained quiet, Tell them. She looked down at the carpet but did not say anything. It looked like she could not physically speak. Quickly, the chayos of the market took over and when I glanced back toward the door, a moment later, the girl was gone. Haji Shakir meanwhile had approached another Sabaya, a young girl I knew from Kocho. I lost all control. If it was inevitable that a militant would take me, I would not make it easy for him. I holled and screamed, slapping away hands that reached out to grope me. Other girls were doing the same, curling their bodies into bars on the floor or throwing themselves across their sisters and friends to try to protect them. We were no longer scared that we would be beaten and many of us, myself included, wondered whether we could provoke them into killing us. When a militant slapped me across the face and said, this is the one who caused all the trouble yesterday. I was surprised by how little his hand hurt me. It was far more painful a moment later when he touched my breast and after he left I collapsed onto the floor where Nasreen and Catherine tried to comfort me. While I lay there another militant stopped in front of us. I had my knees pulled up to my forehead and all I could see were his boots and calves as thick as straight trunks sticking out of them. He was a high-ranking militant named Salvan, who had come with another girl, another young Yazidi from Hardan, who he planned to drop off at the house while he shopped for her replacement. I peered up at him. He was the most numerous man I had ever seen, like a giant in a white dish dasha, as big as a tent, scowling behind a reddish beard. Nasreen, Rosan, and Catherine trapped their bodies over me, trying to hide me, but he did not go away. Stand up, he said. When I did not, he kicked me. You, the girl with the pink jacket, I said. Stand up. We screamed and huddled together more tightly, but this just provoked Salvan even more. He leaned down and tried to pull us apart, clutching at our shoulders and arms. Still, we held on to one another as though we were one person. Our resistance made him furious and he yelled at us to stand up, kicking at our shoulders and hands. Eventually the struggle caught the attention of a guard who came over to help, beating our hands with a stick until the pain was so great we had to let go of one another. After we were separated, Salvan loomed over me, smirking, and I saw his face clearly for the first time. His eyes were sunk deep into the flesh of his white face, which seemed to be nearly entirely covered in hair. He did not look like a man, he looked like a monster. We could not resist anymore. I will go with you, I said, but you have to take Catherine Rosen and Nasreen as well. Nafa came over to see what was happening. When he saw me, his face turned red with anger. It's you again, he shouted, and he slapped each of us across our faces. I won't go without them, I screamed back, and Nafa started hitting us faster and harder, hitting us and hitting us until our faces went numb, numb, and Rosen started bleeding from her mouth. Then he and Selvan grabbed me and Rosen and tore us away from Catherine and Nasreen, dragging us downstairs. Salwan's footsteps sounded heavy on the staircase, I did not get to say goodbye to Catherine or Nasreen, or even look behind me as they took me away. Attacking Cinzer and taking girls to use as sex slaves was not a spontaneous decision made on the battlefield by a greedy soldier. ISIS planned it all, how they would come into our homes, what made a girl more or less valuable, which militants deserved Sabaya as incentive and which should pay. They even discussed Sabaya in their glossy propaganda magazine The Big in an attempt to draw new recruits. From their centers in Syria and sleeper cells in Iraq, they mapped out the slave trades for months, determining what they thought was and was not legal under Islamic law, and they wrote it down so that all Islamic State members would follow the same brutal rules anyone can read it, the details of the plan for sabaya are collected in a pamphlet issued by ISIS research and fatwa department and it is sickening partially because of what it says and partially because of how ISIS says it, so matter of fact, like the law of any state, confident that what they are doing is sanctioned by the Quran. Sabaya can be given as gifts and sold at the whim of the owner for they are merely property. The Islamic State pamphlet reads, women should not be separated from their young children, which is why Dimal and Adke were told to stay in Solak. But grow children like Malik can be taken away from their mothers. There are rules for what happens if a sabaya becomes pregnant. She cannot be sold or if her owner dies, she is distributed as part of his state. An owner can have sex with a pre slave, it says, if she is fit for intercourse and if she is not, then it is not enough to enjoy her without intercourse. Much of it they support with verses from the Quran and the medieval Islamic laws which ISIS uses selectively and expect its followers to take literally. It is a horrible, stunning document, but ISIS is not as original as its members think it is. Rape has been used throughout history as a weapon of war. I never thought I would have something in common with women in Rwanda before all this. I did not know that a country called Rwanda existed and now I am linked to them in the worst possible way as a victim of a war crime that is so hard to talk about that no one in the world was prosecuted for committing it until just 16 years before ISIS came to Sinjar. On the lower floor, a militant was registering the transactions in a book writing down our names and the names of the militants who took us. Compared to upstairs, the downstairs was orderly and calm. I sat down on a couch next to a few other girls, but Rosane and I were too scared to talk to them. I thought about being taken by Salvan, how strong he looked and how easily he could crush me with his bare hands. No matter what he did and no matter how much I resisted, I would never be able to fight him off. He smelled of rotten eggs and cologne. I was looking at the floor at the feet and ankles of the militants and girls who walked by me. In the crowd I say I saw a pair of men's sandals and ankles that were skinny, almost womanly, and before I could think about what I was doing, I flung myself toward those feet. I started begging, please take me with you, I said, Do whatever you want. I just cannot go with this giant. It still amazed me the kind of decisions we all made thinking it possible that one choice would lead to torture while another would save us, not realizing that we were now in a world where all paths led to the same terrible place. I don't know why the thin guy agreed, but taking one look at me, he turned to Salwan and said, she is mine. Salwan did not argue. The skinny man was a judge in Mosul and no one disobeyed him. I raised my head and almost felt like smiling at Silvan, thinking I had won, but then I felt him grab my hair and pull my head back violently. He can have you now, Silvan said. After a few days, you will be with me, don't worry. And then he let my head fall forward. I followed the thin man to the desk. What's your name? He asked me. He spoke in a soft but unkind voice. I think Nadia. said and he turned to the register the man seemed to recognize the militant right away and began recording our information he said our names as he wrote them down nadia Hazi salman and when he spoke the name of my capture i thought i heard his voice waver a bit as if he was scared i and i wondered if i had made a huge mistake this time thank you for joining me i hope you like it